This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about A Maze of Death, the 1970 science fiction novel by Philip K. Dick. Um, I was prepared to shit all over this novel for most of the book, um, but I kind of like it now. Yeah, me too. I think this is one of my favorites, actually. It it, it takes a long while to, for this novel really to get going. It It, it, it is very... It's like where is he going with this? And final, you know, finally, finally, it finally all opens up. But it, yeah, it's 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 slow. I've used the word slow burn before with books, but this one's really like, okay, 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 planet, planet, planet. planet. Okay. Huh. Mm. I, I uh, uh oh, sorry, go for it. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say I, I didn't have that experience. I think this was one of the earliest um ones I read of his. Uh, one of the first oh, really? ones I read, yeah. After, so this is a reread then? Yeah, it was a reread, and I read this. I'd only read like Do Androids and Ubik, and I think that's maybe all. Oh wow! And, um, I fell right. in love with it so fast. I think it was from the moment uh, the words like morbid chicken was used to name a <laughs> spacecraft. And right. <laughs> then I was all in. <laughs> hey, you're an easy sell, I think, because uh, um, I, I was like, I was there, but I like, I swear, I read this book before, and I, I hadn't. Right, but there's so so many scenes that are so similar, um, in so many. Other, I mean, how it wasn't that long ago that we read a book with a with a space jalopy that was basically the exact same scene, right? Yeah, maybe that's what it is because I I hadn't read many others of his books before this one yeah. when I first yeah. read it. So I was just like, what? This guy is crazy. <laughs> he is crazy. I uh, I found a really interesting uh, tiny little thing on the Philip K. Dick. Um, fans page oh. about this book that I wanted to talk about sure because um, it's uh, apparently uh, Kim Stanley Robinson uh, gave a speech or a lecture or something at a science fiction convention about this book um, and the quote starts like uh, it was at a, a world con in Brighton called conspiracy 87 so 1987 con right world con mm-hmm. um, and it says Robinson came up with some refreshingly interesting, uh, intriguing ideas. For instance, he sees Dick in a, a maze of death deliberately murdering the cast of character characters he has used in his books and grown sick of since Solar Lottery. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he says there is a different new cast after Maze, he says. Um, and this is from a letter from, uh, to Philip K. Dick. Uh, wait, no, the PKDS, whatever that is. Um, society probably and Phil Woolley in Chet- Chetnolham, England, on Kim Stanley Robinson's talk. Hmm. Um, so uh, I do see that, like that's one of the things I was going to complain about is that it's just this stock cast of characters. Although I don't think Solar Lottery as much as what's the one with the atomic, the Bevatron, the uh, oh yeah, cast of uh, characters who. Uh, I don't know, I'll get collapsed and stuck it. I mean, that's essentially the same story, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's still going through various realities, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And and dying, and sometimes dying one by one, yeah, that's so... Right, and hating each other for their worlds, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. 
yeah, it's like, oh, oh crap, we have, yeah, and that house, oh god, that house, mm-hmm. that house still gives me yeah, the horror world, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that one have um, religion and stuff in it though? Is that the main difference? Or? No, I, yeah, I guess that is the main difference, right? Is that in this particular variant of their uh, of simulated story. world, <laughs> um, the they they decided to throw in all the religions into the blend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Um, and I guess well, that's a sign of where Philip K. Dick's mind is kind of going at this point in his life mm-hmm. as well, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's, he's starting to really grapple with religion in a in a way that will change the rest of his life. I think this is where this is a signpost to what's that's do what that's doing to him, what's that's mm-hmm. doing. It was always there, though. I mean, there, there's uh, that early one, the Cosmic Puppets, is is sort of that as well. I guess it's not that much earlier, but um, it was always sort of in there. It's just that the the emphasis is becomes a lot greater. But I haven't read Ubik and Valis and all that, so this is this is a, a, apparently sort of the near turning point. And and I was I was basically saying, yeah, this this far and no farther for me because um, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of endlessly spinning wheels about what God is like. But I did like the premise in here mm-hmm. um, that, you know, uh, prayers are always answered, or are very often answered, especially if you get the transmission, you know, the tower up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. And I, I love the walker on earth idea. Um, and then right at the end there where the guy comes out and, oh my God, it's the walker, right? Um, but no, it's not. <laughs> Oh, or is it? Which guy? You mean in the in the last chapters? Yeah, yeah right. In the right, last right. chapter, there, um, it's God. It is God. Yeah, it's God. God is taking him to another level of reality. Where right. We're, <laughs> so, so we have at least three levels of reality. We have the level of the simulation, which we are in for the most of the book. We have the we have the doomed spaceship, and then, and then and then we have God. God taking him to another reality and clearly taking physical taking Seth completely out because he's gone. He's not there to from he's not there anymore. And Mary and, and Mary kind of remembers him, and then finally in the, in the simulation, finally yeah, like gives up on him because mm. Seth has ascended. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although in that when they're in that virtual reality, they do sort of forget all of their everything they left behind in their real lives anyway, right? That's right. So Seth so, is kind of forgotten because I he's, think it's open. Yeah. He's whether good. that that he has ascended or not or been plucked from. It might be just I mean they're essentially going to the same simulation, right? Not even like there was a one uh she said, "What about having a having us all be a, a dolphin people?" <laughs> I know. <laughs> we did that one already. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I I believe Kurt uh, Vonnegut wrote that book, and it's a pretty terrible book. Oh, he did. Uh, yeah, it's uh, humans evolved into like it, I hate Kurt Vonnegut because he's so cynical all the time. <laughs> oh my God. He's so like I'm so smart, and look at this, and oh, people wow. are stupid, and and so that one. I do people have a fondness for cynical smart. Yeah, like but that. I mean, it's just so his. His tongue is so st- stuck in his cheek, like mm-hmm. he's gonna bite his tongue off. Um, 
he in that one I, I can't remember the name of it. It's pretty late or late novel by him. But he's this. So after this, so so was Dick wasn't savvy yeah. that. Okay. No, no, he's not. Um, it's uh, it's probably like from 1980 or so. But it's a uh, it's the human race is ev- devolved into dolphin people after I don't know nuclear war and some ship. A cruise ship, of course, has to be a cruise ship, has crashed on a beach. Oh, it's Galapagos is the name of the Oh, is it the one? Oh, that's Uh, on my list to read. Okay, cool. Okay, so, yeah, and people have evolved into basically, uh, maybe not dolphin people, but like sea lion sort of people just (laughs) lying on the beach, sunning themselves. Love it already. And they're they're all (laughs) stupid now. And I'm like, no, I hate this. Uh, it's I also I I hate Margaret Atwood for the same reason. She, you know that what's that one um, that she turned into a trilogy uh, in a very science fictiony way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even though she doesn't write science fiction, um, or Oryx and Craig, right? Where every humans are, you know, sort of I don't know Frankenstein into a bunch of different mm-hmm. species, or I don't know. It's a, a variant on H.G. Wells. Um, yeah, basically, I, I wanna, basically de-evolved. Yeah, but I, I that's sort of unrelated to. I, uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't get was, into that because that's not in this book. Yeah, that uh, would be a good episode, though. Books Jesse hates. Oh man, there's a big list. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically authors because I love Philip K. Dick, and even though he is writing the same book over and over again, I mean, so much of this is recycled or at least rethemed. Um, and yet it's still interesting and um, and it does have those funny little touches that um, like the tench thing like um, it's finally revealed what I think the tenches are uh, I, I mean I think so don't you think though that it's revealed that it's just sort of the tensions right it's the what uh, so there's a line near the end uh, where she says all the tensions that we've been feeling, all the tension that's been oh, on this ship. Oh, I didn't uh, get tens- Tensions. Yeah, right. And right before finishing it, um, I was thinking, oh, it's uh, tension, apprehension. Dissension had begun. Right. Um, and uh, that could be, you know, part of the inspiration for for that as well. Uh-huh. Not that tension is, you know, exclusive to uh, Bester or anything, but um, oh yeah, I missed that when I read it. We, we sort of have that scene where people, yeah, they they just start killing each other because I can't stand you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes no sense until we find out. Yeah, they've been doing this over and over again. They've been stuck on this inescapable death ship for so oh. long that that yeah, it's like it's so depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what, what else are you going to do? You're finally going to emit your desires and, uh, yeah, kill people on the first opportunity. And just like, it, I mean, they're they're in a bot, they're stuck in a bottle forever. It's it it's yeah. it, 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 it. I mean, it's. I mean, he doesn't use the word explicitly, but you can see this as a, sort of like a hell. And Seth Morley yeah. at the end gets to escape the hell and the others are going to go back right into that hell on and on forever. I am surprised. I'm, maybe it's Dick's own preference that, yeah, I'm not sure I could last that long without, well, yeah, committing suicide. And they said yeah. the suicides had stopped. It's like, really? It's like, 
You're, things are not going to get better. You're stuck on this ship. Yeah, opening up the airlock. I eventually, yeah. What what else are you going to do? Just yeah. I mean, and the thing that's depressing about it is that. So these people are all stuck with each other, the same bunch of people for their whole lives, and the only way they can escape is to go into this virtual reality thing and amuse themselves, right? And then it's like, oh, God, that's life. Oh, God, yeah. that, like yeah. we're stuck with this bunch of people, and we do have the freedom to like change our lives and move around, but really we don't. So yeah. we sit around with the people we know from our childhood, and we squabble and, <laughs> and get irritated at them, and then we play video games <laughs> and read books to escape <laughs> them. <laughs> like, I, I thought you were going to say we sit around with the same people on the same podcast talking about the same yeah. folks. <laughs> but I was like, because I was thinking like, this is hell. This sounds like hell. And then I'm like, yeah. or is it actually just reality? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, it, it goes into the whole, I mean, and we and we just recently discussed Faith of Our Fathers and how, what's, which, which is the reality? Because you, you take the drug that keeps you from hallucinating, you wind up with several different Hello? Yeah, mm-hmm. we can hear you. There's some sort of problem, but it's okay. It's intermittent. Okay, so so yeah, so the faith of our fathers, you have several non-overlapping possibilities for reality, and you're stuck with and, and one illusion, which is so. This story does tie into that, but here it's just like a it's like a oh it the the the, the weird gnostic twist in this is that the the people on the spaceship are themselves purposely plunging themselves into a forgetful fake reality just to uh, get through their existence. Mm-hmm. They're, you, could, you, could, you could take that as narcissism. You could take that as a metaphor for, say, drug addiction. And it, it, uh, it, there's it, a few drugs in this book. And, yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a – I mean, Seth Morley's apotheosis – or escape is hopeful, but most of this book is not a happy book. It's like, okay, so I mean, even before we discover that they've been stuck stuck in a simulation, that Delmaco is not exactly the garden spot of the universe. Mm. I mean, I mean, it, it it is clear that they're that all the main characters are quote unquote not happy in their current lives, and so that's why they go to Delmaco, although. Sometimes with uh, reservations, but yeah, this is it. It, it is a crap. They could have simulated. A, they should have simulated a better reality. And of course, I mean, is it too soon to bring up the Matrix? Yeah. Um, so I thought when I saw that comparison somewhere in somebody's review, I was thinking, yeah, it's not exactly the Matrix. I mean, it is a simulated world, um, but they don't, you know, put themselves back in over and over again, except for the one that one character. Oh, one character. Mind you, I didn't watch past the first movie, so I mean, I'm, I'm not even counting past the, the the first movie. Yeah, but um, but if you did, it's, it's really, I mean, it's vaguely Philip K. Dicky, and yeah, I agree. But the whole idea of what well, one of the points uh, in the original movie that that Tyson says, like they um, the machines tried to give humans paradise. I'm. Um, the uh, agent, uh, not the the agent's character, says this to Neo. We tried to give you paradise, tried to give you one, and you broke free of it. You weren't satisfied with it. Yeah, it's just like that. That's a really cynical sort of look on humanity. And this is sort of a 
kind of like that unflinching look of humanity. Like if you were stuck with the same people forever on a spaceship, you would start to act out no matter how much you like them at the beginning. Eventually you'd just be sick and tired of them. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't think it's ever mentioned in the book. Um, I guess it would be right at the end if it was, but um, it doesn't say it's a, it's a black hole, does it? Um, no, they're just it's, it's a dead star. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of like yeah. yeah, stuck on a dead star. But I think it. I mean, if if you wanted to make it a, this is Philip K. Dick sort of almost always does that, where he goes right to the edge of, of doing what Up. I would think, and then he does something else. But basically, what it is is, if if it was a um, a black hole, mm-hmm. it literally would be hell, because. Uh, the idea, right, that trapped in in that orbit on the uh, what, what do they call it? The event horizon. Uh, the event horizon, right? That's I guess where the movie Event Horizon as part of the idea, but also um, the fact that they can't die, right? That moment in time is frozen forever. Yep. Mm-hmm. I found the paragraph. We could have survived the twenty years. Seth Morley said to himself, knowing it would end, that would have kept the scene and alive. But the accident had come and. And now they circled forever a dead star. Their transmitter, because of the accident, functioned no longer. And so an escape toy, typical of those generally used in long interstellar flights, had become the support for their sanity. So, yes, that, that ties in the, the movie The Black Hole. And Yeah, it, it literally is the, the movie The Black Hole. Marissa, have you heard of scene of this Disney movie? No. <laughs> you, you, need, you, need, you need to see. It's a really weird sort of. 1979, I believe, is the yep. movie came. Maybe 1980. Um, I saw it in Hawaii. I happened to be in Hawaii as a kid, um, and we saw it in the movie theater there. And it it's kind of like um, somebody at Disney, and I guess they eventually got their wish. They wished that they had had uh, Star Wars as a a property because they could do so much with those robots. Oh my God! If we had <laughs> Disney, if Disney had robots like that. And so they made a couple. There's there's one that's basically an R2-D2 character. Um, and then there's a sort of a villainous, monstrous robot. Maximilian, uh, yes. Maximilian, uh-huh. who's, I guess he's like the, he's the Igor to uh, the, the the main baddie's um, villain, you know. Oh, I have never heard and, of this. Yeah. And, and it's I, set. I, I could see the DVD, of my, my copy of my DVDs from where I'm sitting. Well, you've probably seen it since 1979. So Many maybe times. Well, maybe I'll let you uh, explain the plot. Okay, so so the plot is the um, the Palomino, which is a deep space explorer, comes upon a black hole, and they find a ship in orbit around the black hole, and it turns out the ship is from an earlier probe from 20 years back that was presumed lost and destroyed. They board the ship. They find the ship is not dead but alive and run supposedly by this one guy and all his robots – Mm. I'm going to spoil this for you, Marissa, but you should see okay. the movie anyway. I'll, I'll so, watch it anyway. I don't mind. Okay, so, okay. Spoiler: the robots are not robots. They're people that have been transformed to work for uh, for the uh, for the baddie and his and and his main robot. So most of so the crew is still alive, at least the crew that's left, and they want to go into the black hole because they think they'll find ultimate power and and live forever. The things go wrong. Which they will, <laughs> because I mean, there's nothing stronger than the black hole, right? Right, and they will live forever on the event horizon, <laughs> right? So, right, so 
So the, the main ship goes into the black hole, the probe goes into the black hole, the um the um the main the main character and his robot wind up getting fused together into a thing in hell. Oh. And the, yeah, uh, yeah, he is one of the yeah, it's a really fun kids movie, right? Yeah, it's just, and yeah, and and, and and the crew of the Palomino that survives, a couple one dies, um, wind up going through the original the original school was gonna have them go to heaven, but they just instead go to another universe. Wow. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it sounds really good now. <laughs> some of the special effects are, to put it charitably, naff. Um, they're, they, they, the robot characters, yeah, I, people give me credit. I like I like the robot characters because one of them is voiced by Rodney McDowell. And how can I say no right. that? And he even quotes Cicero. So well, how can I go wrong with that? And and it's got a, it's got the guy from Psycho in it. Which uh, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins in a non-villainous role, which is kind of funny. Maximilian Schnell right. plays the villain. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, I mean, it's, it's like, it, it. I have a unreasonably love for this movie. We on another podcast I do, we did a cool quote, torture cinema on this. I was the only one who really, really liked the movie. <laughs> everyone, everyone was pissed on it, but yeah, this. I, I have an unreasonably love for this movie because I saw it first as a comic adaptation and then i saw the movie well, yeah i remember those yeah oh, so i need to look it up i love, i think you know 70s and 80s kids movies were so much better anyway so i'm surprised <laughs> i've never it, heard of this yeah it's kind of like a, it gives you the feel of escape from witch mountain sort of thing, yeah you know? it's it's in that same sort of frame yeah the sort of disney disney does horror science fiction yeah um, which is kind of a weird idea i mean I've, there's i mean it's got a, it's got an overture it has an excellent score yeah, I remember that actually yeah. as well. Even though it was 1979 when I saw it. Yeah. Wow. Um, the there's a different property that this movie that 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 this book reminds me of, and I'm going to spoil it mercilessly because it went nowhere. It was a pilot for a TV show called Virtuality. Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that show. Marissa, do you remember what, it? What was the name of it? Virtuality. Virtuality. No, I had no. Okay. Okay, virtuality takes place on a spaceship that's going to go go to uh, another solar system to start to find a habitable planet, and it it's framed almost reality TV style because part of the part of the uh, conceit is that to help, help pay for this, the show is broadcasting the show the adventures on the ship as a virtual reality show back uh-huh. to Earth, and a murder happens. And it tur- and and one of the main things in the show is that to entertain themselves on this long trip, they have something very much like what the uh, the peg the Pesis the person the Persis nine people have. They have a virtual reality set. They have virtual reality sets where they go in and have their own worlds. The captain has a civil war world. This other mm. this other one this this one. It's a holodeck. Essentially, they have a holodeck. This one woman likes to play. Musician slash superhero, hmm. and it's it, no that, that that's hilarious. She's playing the song in Jap. She's singing it quasi Japanese, and it's like that's it's like <laughs> wow. And then, then she goes and goes solves crimes. It's like and anyway, did you say this is a TV show or a movie? It, it, it was a it's it, it, it was a TV show pilot. So it, oh okay. So all that exists is really that as a movie. I have, okay. I have the DVD of this. So now comes the spoiler. Here, I'm going to spoil it again for all listeners. Okay. <laughs> so 
at the end of the show, they still haven't quite figured out who killed the captain, but the the woman who um, is in love with the captain, although she's married to somebody else and has been had been having an affair with him in virtual reality, goes into Sounds Philip K. Dickey. Go go mm-hmm. goes into his virtual reality, and what does she see but the captain, who should be dead, but he's here in the virtual reality. He says. Follow me down the rabbit hole, and she's just like staring of like, what the hell? And that's the end of the pilot. So my guess is where they were gonna go with the show is that they're gonna do a do a a maze of death sort of thing that is like that the the spaceship itself is a virtual reality. That's my guess. Right. Yeah, and is that what you think is happening in Maze of Death as well? That the Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. So I, I just looked it up on IMDb, um, and one of the comments, of course, from 2008, um, says, uh, heading for a lawsuit. <laughs> and it says, uh, I'm extremely disappointed in Mr. Moore. By the way, that's Ronald D. Moore, the guy who did those, uh, uh, the reboot of... Um, Fastball Galactica. Yeah. Yep. Um, still another show filmed in Vancouver, right? And uh, it says, you see, I've just read the synopsis for virtual reality. And guess what? The basic premise is completely ripped off from Joe Haldeman's SF novel, Old 20th. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> there are really no new, new ideas. ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a number of things this could be connected to. I wanted to point out one that I thought you guys would get a kick out of. Sure. Um, from 1980. I've got the issue, I believe it's from, let me just make sure I'm correct. Yep, Frozen Journey from Playboy, December 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip K. Dick's uh, One Venture into Playboy. Um, and here's the opening line, well, a line from the story. You are in a faulty cryonic suspension, said the ship. I can't correct it, and I can't repair it. You'll be conscious but paralyzed for ten years. Oh, oh my God, said Victor Kemmings. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you could tie in all sorts of reality is not you're in a simulation sort of reality things. Um, the movie Vanilla Sky comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I, I could pull up a ton of these. Have you seen that one, Marissa? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the Tom Cruise movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he is he is cryonically frozen. And that's a remake of the Spanish. Yeah, open your eyes. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so um. In uh, Philip K. Dick's um, Exegesis, mm-hmm. I was kind of paging through that because I, I don't know who can read that straight through. But some something no one stamina. should. Yeah. Not even him. <laughs> he he talks in there about uh, Maze of Death quite a bit. Oh. And yeah, but I mean, it's so hard to make out what he's even talking about half the time. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> he mentioned something where. He talks about the walker on Earth as the protagonist of the story and the only uh-huh. one who enters. So he, when he turns up in the last chapter, that he is kind of enter, entering this other level of virtual reality himself and is the only one aware yeah. of it. But I don't know. I don't totally trust Philip K. Dirk when he about the stuff no. he writes in the Exegesis because I think he he thinks of some of the stuff after he wrote the book, and I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> like. If he actually yeah, he, wrote it that way. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I mean, part of 
it can be interpreted in a number of ways. One of the things that's said in the, in the book is that we're all the walker on earth, right? That whenever you do something nice for someone, um, that's you. I mean, this is very much what sort of Dick likes about Jesus and particularly yeah. Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Is that um, one, one other way of looking at this book is that that cast of characters, they're all him. Right, they're all Dick. Of course they are, because he created them. They're his characters. He wrote everything they think mm-hmm. and, and say. And so uh, that makes me think of like there's the one female character who's basically she's super slutty, right? That's her her thing is I have to sleep with all the men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she's and they said, what about the women? He says, I I never understand women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's <laughs> depraved. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that's one aspect of Philip K. Dick, right? Mm-hmm. Is that um, yeah, he's a he really loves women. Um, he loved them so much he married five of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, um, he also has very frustrating relationships with women, and the the sort of the frustrations that happen in this book, um, where you know somebody, I have to kill you, I hate you so much, um, and they don't even you know it's sort of unrealized why they're. Their motivations. This is also the sort of the the group therapy that Philip K. Dick would go into, right? So that you know, my wife and I are having problems. We'll get together in a group and talk about it. Oh, he was doing um, that. I I'm pretty sure there's something like that. Oh. The couples where the couples sort of get together in groups. Yeah, that and makes sense. Early in his life, I believe, uh, in his early marriages, there was sort of a lot of a lot of that where, um, and because he's so impressionable as a person. Um, you know he can he can empathize with everybody's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes on all of these aspects, um, and so I mean, one way of thinking about why he's always writing about the same things is because um, he's working. He everyone he's working out his own psychology. He's he's figuring out who he is and what's what's going on. So in reading these books over and over again, like we're doing, we're seeing one person's sort of attempt to reconcile all the weirdness that is in that mind. Yeah. It's all the tendencies. And uh, I was just reading yesterday with a student uh, an adaptation of um, an H.P. Lovecraft story um, (laughs) uh, in a comic book form. And it's like everything that's in there is in other stuff of H.P. Lovecraft. That's his psychology. It's, It's like that's what they're about. Yeah. And those writers, like the guys, H.P. Lovecraft, Philip K. Dick, right, they're always being honest. Even though it's all fiction, they're always being honest because this is what fascinates them. This is what obsesses them. And so when I read this book and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I don't like this book. Right? All this right back and forth. Well, Philip K. Dick doesn't like it either. That's why he's killing the characters off. Yeah. Right? And mocking them so much. And and then trying to get out of that to escape sort of uh, exactly what the the metaphor of this book is, that this is life, right, as you pointed out, Marissa, um, that we're all sort of trapped in a... in an orbit around a dead star that that we can't escape from. <laughs> With a bunch from. of people we can't escape from. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And 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 ourselves, right? Our own exactly. tendencies. Sometimes there's things I do that I hate that I do them. Yeah. Right? I like I just did something. I was like, why the fuck did you do that, you asshole? I say to myself. 
Ugh, yeah, right? that's why I try not to do it. When you know, when people talk about difficulty in relationships and stuff, I'm always like, man, exactly. you get so annoyed at yourself. Like, how does anyone expect to have like a perfect relationship with a, another human being? It's impossible. Yeah, right? we're so annoying. <laughs> and and as I think that uh, the idea of that black hole, you know, escaping to heaven mm-hmm. as a alternative. I mean, everybody knows that heaven would be the most boring fucking place in the yeah. entire universe, right? It's it is sort of the the some sort of drama, some sort of you know interest, a uh, renew you know uh, an ebb and flow of uh, change that's necessary for for us to have any kind of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that I didn't love the book all the way through, but then came to appreciate it a lot more at the end is is what makes it a good book i think because it is in part i mean i don't i don't like any of those interactions and you know the 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 personal interactions between a bunch of you know married and involved people in southern california we've seen that so many times where uh wasn't that long ago there was a book we did where everybody owned part of california right and Oh, I can't remember the name of the book, but there was uh, a guy in New York and he came in and he ruined the system. They had a perfect system going. And you you, you, know, you guys remember the it was a ga- another game book, right? I know the book you're talking about, but they're all blurring <laughs> out and I can't remember. Yeah, they're all blurring together. <laughs> that was Game Players of Titan. Game Players yeah. of Titan, right? Uh, so the thing that I didn't like about that book is that uh, we've got all these sort of People who kind of like each other and kind of don't like each other, and can't um, can't help but seem to have sort of conversations where they're annoyed with each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't like that. I, I don't like hanging out with people who are annoyed with each other. And so when Philip K. Dick starts killing off these characters, um, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, but then I, I I was reading a little bit about it on Wikipedia, and somebody said it's Philip K. Dick's Agatha Christie novel, where, where uh, uh, it's Ten Little Indians, I guess is the name of the book. Yeah. Um, where every one by one, all the characters on the island start getting killed off, right? Or maybe there's another one, Murder on the Orient, Orient Express, where everybody's the murderer, or something like that, right? I, so I, I, oh, become intrigued. Who's the murderer? Aha! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the final revelation is like, wow! I had no idea this was coming. Yeah. Right. Even though I, I clicked on a, I was telling uh, Paul before we started that there was a uh, Goodreads review that said, um, click here for a big spoiler, right? You know, how they open up more. So to avoid spoilers, you have you can make your review not show it on the front page. So I clicked on it and it's like a picture of a spaceship and like, I don't know, crashing into uh, like Saturn or something. I'm like. What's that? How's that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means, right? So, and then when I'm finishing the book, I'm like, oh, that would make sense. It's not a spoiler, right? It's just it's just a hint as to what's going on. Yeah. But I was too dense or maybe too sick to uh, to play the game properly. And did you guys at all figure out, Marissa? I guess is the first time you read this book. Did you realize what was going on beforehand? No, nowhere near it. <laughs> nowhere near it. I didn't see that coming at all. 
Okay. What about I, you? Uh, did you? I I I, you work it out? I I started to suspect something was really wrong about a chapter before before things started falling apart. I'm thinking, is this a is this an eye in the sky sort of thing? Because mm-hmm. that, I was thinking more eye in the sky, not pure simulated reality. Mm-hmm. Which was like maybe they're just like diluting things, and so. Close, close, but no cigar, right? Yeah, I think that's why that's one of the reasons I love this book is like his red herrings through it. Like I was totally into the this is a government experiment. There, you know, what do the government want from them? Why are they in right. this place? Like I was totally yeah, I playing. Was playing that, I was playing that game. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. like, okay, they they have an oceanologist or whatever it is, and there's no ocean. <laughs> yeah. And there's an economist, right? And it's like they have 14 <laughs> people. What do they need an economist for? It's like, oh, they're concentrating all the idiots together so that they don't have to. Yeah. And then didn't we have a, a whole novel where there uh, there was another one like this where there was a, a, a bunch of people um, with degrees that they couldn't use kind of. And they, um, and they were constantly uh, – it actually had the exact same setup. Um, there was a spaceship. He got on. It wasn't a noser. <laughs> it wasn't a whatever the other one's squib. called a, a squib. But it was like that. He got on the ship. He pressed the button. Um, it took him off to another planet, right? Where he he's stuck there, and then um, it's like a punishment planet, but it's not that bad. And then he manages to get off, and he presses the button again, and it takes him off to a part of space. Um, where he thinks he's going to be stuck, just emptiness, and that's yeah, sort of right. the turning point of the book, where we like, we like, I don't think Philip K. Dick knows what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's like that's how I feel this book is as well, right? That um, that 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 same scene happens where he, he gets in the spaceship and he says, "Take me to my last destination." And he said, "No, you can't do that," right? Um, and he doesn't know where he's going to go or what, what's going to happen. I mean. This could have been that because this this has printers in it, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, it's it's it could be set on another world, Delmaco, a real one, and I had no clue that uh, even with that big hint of this quote unquote spoiler that didn't tell me anything. Yeah. Uh, there is that, like a oh sorry, carry on. No, go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say there is like a I guess it's a hint early on. I'm guessing you guys caught it where the those conversations repeat, but in a right, slightly yeah. different way. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest hint that it's like some kind of weird. But the, I still don't know if it totally makes sense. Well, Philip K. Dick <laughs> writes that here in 1977. Apparently, he says another one I'm not sure of is a maze of death. I get different reactions when I read different parts. There's a part in there where the same whole conversation is repeated twice. Kind of like this podcast we're talking about. Books that are yes. almost identical <laughs> to each other. It's long and everybody's babbling away. Hey, still talking about it. <laughs> but it's different. It's carefully rewoven so that the second time around, it's not the same. It has a different meaning. Mm, right. Just like the podcast, right? Right. Uh, and this is the stuff that really, this is why I really like this story from early on, like way before I got to the twist, because mm-hmm. there's all these little things like that where you're like, you're throwing a little bit, like, things that aren't quite right, like things are a little bit weird or those repeating oh. conversations. And that's what had my attention the whole time. And I was always just like, what is going on? Trying to like put these, you know, pieces of the pattern together. 
Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that's weird about this book is that it has a, uh, a author's forward. Um, I don't think I remember that in any yeah. of his other books. And apparently it's in like every edition. So it's not like a later edition, you know, how they, uh, I mean, I assume that that's the case. I, I, as far as I could see, the oldest ones, paperbacks anyways, mm-hmm. that I could find always had it. Um, and the thing is, it, that threw me for a loop as well, because I thought, okay, um, so listen to this. I want to read the introduction. Sure. Uh, the theology in this novel is not analog of any known religion. Uh, we find out why, right? It stems from an attempt by S- William Sarrell and myself to develop an abstract logical system of religious thought based on arbitrary the arbitrary postulate that God exists. I love that. I should say, too, that the late Bishop James A. Pike, who he talks a lot about in a lot of his writings, in discussions with me, brought forth a wealth of, a the- of theological material for my inspection, none of which I was previously acquainted with. So this is more of like a dedication at this point. Mm. Um, in the novel, Maggie Walsh's experiences after death are based on an LSD experience of my own in exact detail. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, the approach in this novel is highly subjective. By that, I mean that at any given time, reality is seen not directly, but indirectly. This is actually a spoiler. Yeah, it is a spoiler. Right? But it's not a spoiler because I didn't I, – I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> it was not – I did not connect it, right? But indirectly, i.e., through the mind of one of the characters. This viewpoint mind differs from section to section, although most of the events are seen through Seth Morley's psyche. All material concerning Wotan. And the death of the gods is based on Richard Wagner's version of Der Ring der Nibelung, uh, rather than the original body of myths. So that's a disclaimer, right? Mm. Answers to questions put to the tench were derived from the I Ching, or the Book of Changes. Again, another thing he's he tends to do when he doesn't know what to do. Right. Uh, Tekel Upsharan is Aramaic for he has weighed and now they divide. Aramaic was the tongue that Christ spoke. There should be more like it. And <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the author's forward, right? So I'm like, what the hell does this mean? <laughs> um, and so when I was thinking about fairly deep into the mystery of who's doing the murders, I say, aha, I figured it out. It's it's uh, Richard Wagner's uh, Gotterdammerung, right? So these are the gods. That's why they all have degrees, right? And this guy is an embodiment of Freya, and, or this lady is an embodiment of Freya, and this is Thor, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Turns out that that's not the case. But it kind of is, too. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That is, that is extremely funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, you have 14 colonists, and they all have these weird, weird... Uh, Specialities that don't come ever come into play, really, except for um, trying to contact the satellite. Uh, what's his name? Glenn, trying to contact the satellite. That's the only. That's the only uh, speciality that really comes uh, to be important to the entire uh, system. And yeah, one by one they die. It's like as you said, like the ten little Indians. Yeah, I swear I read somewhere in the in his exegesis as well that um, I, I think he mentions that they're all archetypes. Of like biblical characters, I yeah, don't know I, if that I, totally fits or. Well, that is the, uh, the the disciples of Christ and stuff mm. like that. 
to be, right? Um, there's also uh, not mentioned in the audiobook. Um, the chapters are not explicitly tagged. Um, I wanted since I I didn't get to read the ebook, I want to read the, the the titles of the chapters. Oh yeah, the uh, fake chapters. Uh, well, there in the audiobook there's 16 parts I think, mm-hmm. right? Um, which and there's 16 chapters, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the so, the titles are the, the, they're red herrings. Yeah, <laughs> completely. <laughs> Number one, in which Ben Tall Chief wins a pet rabbit in a raffle. <laughs> I, that. I love them. Number two, Seth Morley finds out that his landlord has repaired that which symbolizes all Morley beliefs. In <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> his landlord is repaired. He's God. <laughs> A group of, number three, a group of friends gather together. That that happens. And Sue Smart recovers her faculties. What what? Mm-hmm. Number four. Mary Morley discovers that she is pregnant with unforeseen results. <laughs> uh, notice they're all two parters sort of thing, yeah. right? Uh, the chaos number five. The chaos of Dr. Babel's fiscal life becomes too much for him. <laughs> number six. From the first time Ignatz Thug, I love that name, Ignatz Thug, is up against force beyond his capacity. Number seven, out of his many investments, Seth Morley realizes only a disappointing gain measured in pennies. Number eight, Glenn Belsnor ignores the warnings of his parents and embarks on a bold sea adventure. (laughs) What? (laughs) Number nine, we find Tony Dunkelvelt. Uh, worrying over one of mankind's most ancient problems. <laughs> what is that? I want to know. Number 10. Wade Fraser learns that those whose advice he trusted most have turned against him. Hmm. Uh-oh. That might be true. Number 11. The rabbit, which Ben Tallchief won, develops the mange. <laughs> <laughs> Number 12. Roberta Rockingham's spinster aunt pays her a visit. Wait, what? Uh, that's not in the book. Number 13, in an unfamiliar train station, Betty Jo Berm loses a precious piece of luggage. (laughs) Number 14, the thing is, is now that I'm thinking about this, maybe all this stuff did happen, just not in this particular pass-through of the... uh, Yeah, that's what I... Yeah, mm -hmm. I think these are like other experiences they've had in other other realities. Number 14, Ned Russell goes broke. (laughs) Number 15. Yeah. Embittered. Tony Dunkelvelt leaves school and returns to the town in which he was born. I believe that's another Philip K. Dick novel, right? Um, uh, Cosmic Puppets. Cosmic Puppets. Uh, Number 16. After the doctor examines her x rays, Maggie Walsh knows that her condition is incurable. I believe that this is actually true Um, in a metaphorical way, right? That's some weird content. What was Phil K. Dick thinking? Like, I'm just going to pick random content chapter. I mean, is he satirizing? Like, the- He's playing a game, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Victorian novels used to do that, where you'd have yeah. to start of the chapter as, like, Je- Jesse, Jesse unearths a mysterious, mysterious object. Marissa takes a trip. Paul goes to school. It's like, it's- <laughs> Actually, uh, there's um, it's not just uh, Victorian novels. It's also, there's this great... Uh, comic book when I was a kid. I, I still have a copy of a few of them around called Rupert. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's no. British 
it's a British, it's a really bizarrely awesome, weird comic strip. Um, Rupert is a, he's a bear. He's like a white bear. Um, but he has like a red sweater and he's got a mom and, um, he's got a bunch of friends and most of them are animals, but every once in a while there's a a human, including uh, a Chinese girl who apparently lives nearby. Um, and Rupert goes to school and he has adventures and, you know, it's very sort of rural English countryside sort of story. But what's what was really cool about the Rupert books is that the stories are told, I think, at four levels. So you can just look at the pictures and there's four pictures per per strip. Right. Mm-hmm. And each of those pictures tells part of you like you could just look at the pictures and understand the story. Right. And then, and there's no word balloons, so this is not uh, a traditional comic book in the normal sense. Um, but also, the page that that's on has a title that tells you what happens, kind of like this does, in which Ben Tallchief wins a pet rabbit, in which Rupert, you know, uh, finds a lost boy, right? Um, and then there's another level on which you can read it, which has a rhyming couplet that describes the action under each picture, right? So you've got four rhyming couplets, and that tells the a, sort of a more detailed version of the title of the page, which also tells the adventure. And then there's a final level, which is uh, sort of a, a plain text, or at least prose text, um, you know, well-developed and nicely written, um, that tells the story of the four pictures. And the whole book is a series of sort of short stories that go together. So that leveling of of reading, I think, is what he's playing with here. Because on one level, this is a, a Ten Little Indians, um, Agatha Christie murder mystery um, with a surprise that, yeah, it's a science fiction novel, guys. <laughs> right? And then there's another level at which it is a game he's playing uh, with the reader in which you get the title of the of the table of contents and realize that that's not in that story, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and then if you play uh, play long enough with fellow K. Dick, um, you get this book and then you get another book like Cosmic Puppets and you can sort of see how they fit together. And there's sort of a uh, a long game, right? Um, and that that's why it's worth reading. I think is that even though yeah, I would not. I think some. Some people were saying this is not the book to start with, right? Start with something easier. <laughs> um, this is a late dick, but it's not a bad one. I don't think at all. Yeah, it's no, not. I think it's, go sorry, ahead. go ahead, Paul. Yeah, go ahead, Marissa. I was going to say it's a. I think it's really entertaining, but I don't know. I'm surprised that you guys weren't that into it before the twist. Like I thought it was uh, quite well written compared to some of his other books, like the comedy and the descriptions and the kind of atmosphere of the planet. I found it really engaging as an early read. It, it, no, it, I, I think it's more polished than some of his earlier. Yeah, it uh, is more polished. Small, I, mean, I mean, he's clearly grown since, like, say, um, Three Stigmata and some of the others where you have this small little group of people. I mean, this small group of people clearly feels more coherent and more tied together. So he's he's mm-hmm. grown and developed that. He's grown up developed communities of uh, protagonists and characters yeah maybe it's like um jesse said you have to not mind reading about a bunch of dickheads like i think that's what i was 
yeah, especially the yeah. protagonist, like Seth, like what a dick. He's just yeah. like, he's so annoying and he's lying to people all the time. <laughs> like, I thought it was really funny, but I can, if you don't like reading that kind of character, I guess it would be. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it is Dick. Like he is kind of an asshole sometimes. Yeah. Right. And that th- those aspects of him come out and you, I don't like hanging out with people who are, you know, stressing me out, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is essentially what they do right yep. to each other. Um, the other, th- you know, one of the somebody just said a second ago how polished it was. Um, did you guys know the original title? It's mentioned on the Philokatic fans page. Oh, I saw uh, it, but I've forgotten it. It's the hour of the tench. Oh, yeah. Oh. And uh, maybe he never meant that to actually be the title, he was going to call it maybe the, the Maze of Death or A Maze of Death, but he wanted to give them a crappy title so that, that they would revise it. <laughs> we want a better title. So they felt and like they negotiated. The real title. Yeah. That's right. Um, in any case, uh, the manuscript for the the Hour of the Tench, which is virtually identical to the finished novel, um, is, uh, is somewhere in there it says uh, there is no revision, right? There is no second pass through mm-hmm. right and one of the things you know there there are writers who who do that um they just sit down at the typewriter and they just start typing and they write the novel from beginning to end right no moving things around no third and fourth drafts right because they're a professional writer that's what they do they know how to do it right just like um if you're if you've written enough essays you don't need to, you know, go and rewrite it after you've written it the first time. Yeah, they kind of do the right the first time. Yeah, you've right? kind of revised it in your head before you even hit the page. Yeah, well, yeah, and you also know how to hit the beats yeah. and you know how to right. I mean, this is a skill that comes up. So uh, part of the part of the issue when I see writers who I I love like um, like uh, Lawrence Block or Donald Westlake is that. When they do a novel, whether it's a good novel or a bad novel, has less to do with their writing, you know, like how polished they are, was was with as much with how well the topic um, can be played out. Mm-hmm. Right? Some topics are more interesting than others. So if you pick a sort of a sort of a, a little cute topic, it's not going to be a great novel. It'll be fine. It'll be readable. But it won't be a great novel, um, or the you know the way he happens to have set it up to begin with, it just cannot play out perfectly. In this case, um, I thought I was getting one thing, um, and I'm not sure if Philip, like you know, the way he starts writing, I don't think he knew that it was going to be you know, essentially that they're all frozen at the big. Be- I don't think he necessarily knew that that's where it's going to end up. That that's right, mm-hmm. um, but as he was going, it sort of developed into that, and I think he figured it out, and then he started playing that up. Yeah, and, and so uh, like they said that there's almost no di- in reading through the the Phil's major edit of the draft, the difference between the hour of the tench and uh, the completed novel mm-hmm. is a deletion of one paragraph from chapter one. 
Uh, ben Tall Chief, upon learning that his prayer for an a- transfer has been answered by the manufacturer, muses that A.J. Spektowski's How I Rose from the Dead in My Spare Time and So Can You. <laughs> <laughs> um, Love that he, there, there's a missing paragraph, and it goes like this. Strange, he thought, that a communist theologian put it all down first before anyone else. God, God is not supernatural. The premise of the most important book ever written. And we have 40 gods. Uh, 40 God worlds to prove it. They have let us study them, and we have verified by this Mo, M-O-T, uh, scientific means, our religious presumptions, or anyhow, many of them, though admittedly, there remains errors of detail. So this was excised from the novel. Um, and of course, it, uh, looking at it now, I think of it as, oh, that's actually a, a big clue, right? Yes. That... Um, it was going to go there, but I'm not sure Philip K. Dick knew that it was a clue until after he finished reading the book, right? Uh, and he says, well, yeah, maybe this is, yeah, we'd take that part out. Yeah. We don't want to spoil it for people. Yeah. There's a- <laughs> and then um, notice it's the 40 God worlds, right? Another biblical number. A very big biblical number, yeah. Right. It's, a, it's one of the most popular ones. But also, um, he doesn't have 40 characters and 40 chapters. Um, so rather than, you know, revise his, his interplan East and interplan West, one of those sort of, um, uh, space empires that he's always recycled in other short well, stories. Well, it's called, it's, yeah, it's Cold War block in space again. Right. right. With, with just West Germany becoming part of the U.S. again. Right, which he seems right. to love. Yeah. He loves Germany. But, um, what was I going to say? Um. So the yeah the 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 the, the vision um, there's a there's a line in the movie Waking Life which I'm which I'm uh, which I'm reminded of maybe it explains uh, Philip K. Dick in some way because maybe this is the way Philip and it's not even the part in the movie about Philip K. Dick there is a part in that movie of, which deals with uh, flow my tears but in a different in a different dream in that movie these two characters are talking and the woman's asking the guy about the novel he's writing he says and she's asked are you in the are you in the are you in the are you in the story and he says i don't think so but then i'm kind of reading it and then writing it <laughs> i kind of i kind of like think of the okay dick that way he's kind of yeah. reading these books and then writing them and then sometimes having to revise them he's living the books. he's living yeah. the he's, he's living yeah. the books in, in in his weird uh schismatic uh schizophrenic dreams and well one of the things that i was thinking about you know why is he always obsessed with printers right yeah and and one of the things that i I, one of my theories as to what was going on in this murder mystery was that yeah they're all uh, uh, it's explicitly stated in the novel but i was going with it which is that they're all in an insane asylum yeah and and then i was thinking about how you know philip k dick had his wife committed uh at one point when when you're you've seen these movies, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, sort of thing, right? Where they there's these rooms where it's sort of you know there's windows and people can look out and they sort of just sit at tables and stare at other things, right? And then the nurse comes around with like little cups with your pills, right? And it's like, where do those pills come from? <laughs> where do those pills come from? Well, they're 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 manufactured somewhere by a replicating machine. <laughs> Thinks one of these crazy people in this this asylum, and and 
And when they don't work properly and they make me feel weird, it's because the things that make them don't make perfect copies and they sort of fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is um, this is like you, you buy a new car and you're driving down the road and suddenly, you know, things go wrong with it. Entropy happens, right? Yep. This is Dick sort of saying, you know, um, the the fact that even the machines that make the things that make our world are the fight against entropy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is so, uh, I mean, the printers are essentially, what, what's so cool about them is is not that their uh, technology for replicating things like like if you think about how other people other writers deal with with uh, replication uh, like on Star Trek or you know the replicators on Star Trek or any other sort of magic sort of technology there mm-hmm. right they're always obsessed with the aspect that is um, what will that do to the economy. Right? What will it be like when we're in a post-scarcity future, when everybody has a 3D printer on their desk? Right? And Philip K. Dick's more like, um, there's this amazing anti-entropy machine called uh, DNA that manages to make humans uh, copies of things over and over again. Um, but they're never exactly like they were in the original copy. Right? So I make a kid, and he's not a little mini-me. Right, his brain doesn't work exactly the same way mine does, um, and maybe that's a bad thing, <laughs> right? It's sort of, it's even this awesome, amazing thing that is life, which is a way of fighting against entropy, right? Mm-hmm. Even it can't win, right? In the end, your printers get old, right? And they can't. There, every printer we have ever met in every story, right? Yeah. Has been a dying printer, right? That's it's true. never been a, a a printer that was just working perfectly. There's yeah. no brand new pit printers. That's true. They, they've all been. Right? They're like fairies. They're always dying, right? Yeah, they're the, always the, going away. Yeah, the the, the diminution of uh, the printers is the diminution of fairies, the diminution of magic. It's an yeah, obsession. It's that's really deep, right? Yeah, and I'm just thinking as well from the exegesis. He's also talking about. He's saying like the electronic. The system in the ship, mm-hmm. he relates it to the um, to the Bible because his theory, I guess, at this stage in his life is that he thinks he sees the Bible as like our code, our programming. It's like yeah. this Christian programming, and he's saying that we we think we created the word, but the word created us. And then I just realized, remembered in this book, the printers, everything is decaying, but not the ink. Remember, he's they right. they make a note that like the ink stays, and that's kind of. True as well. Like the people are sort of like, and he's taking it from another Bible too, the I Ching. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, um, that's kind of like the way. Uh, I mean, I'm not a church goer, but <laughs> my understanding of how church works, works right, is that uh, the the pastor has to write a sermon every week, right? <laughs> and so. I picture the guy in the back room throwing the yarrow stocks up, right? <laughs> yeah. And it sort of lands on a, a particular passage of the Bible and says, okay, I'll write something about this. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever it is, right? Because that's all you got. The main thing is don't do two shows in a row that are exactly the same. You got to keep the audience, you know, not bored. Um, and so some days the, the, uh, the sermon is a, a positive sermon. 
<laughs> because it's a sort of a good fruitful passage and other days it's just like yeah we're not we're not sure what to make of this um that's the mystery of god king yeah. <laughs> kings 2 4 what am i gonna do with this exactly right yeah not that I know what Kings two four is, but I, I, um, I just not John ten sixteen or whatever it is. No, that no, I, 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 I just took a. It's no John ten sixteen. If John ten sixteen is the one they always hold up at the football games. <laughs> John three sixteen. Okay, Paul, you've got it all memorized. Good job. I I, I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy for a while, so it, it still sticks. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a pain that you've got to work work through. <laughs> uh, it, it's just a part of who I am, and if I was put into a simulation, like in this ship, it would probably wind up being part of the uh, programming of the of the universe. It, that's yep. just the way it's gonna be. Um, I I also wanted to tell you guys something really funny that happened um, this morning. Um, woke up at like four a.m. and uh, I'm sick, right? So uh, I was probably coughed myself awake or whatever mm-hmm. woke up at 4 a.m and i had got up to the last two chapters uh well almost the last two chapters of the book um at that point um you know the night before and the week before and the two weeks before um but i always save the end for like the morning of ah. <laughs> oh that's uh, your plan <laughs> yeah usually i like to save just the last line or something and keep it fresh um and I had had a dream uh, that I was uh, in a diner somewhere near where Marissa lives for some reason. Um, probably Orange County, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was living in a Philip K. Dick world, um, and Philip K. Dick was alive, except he was played by a Hispanic actor. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. And he had a really good spell. You know, sort of, oh, it was, it was actually Antonio Banderas. Antonio um, Now, it wasn't that he was Antonio Banderas as much as he was being played by Antonio Banderas. But um, I was in, it wasn't exactly a movie, I don't think, but it was a world in which Antonio Banderas sort of, you know, lived above a a business that he sort of co-owned with his wife or whatever. And outside uh, and downstairs, the world was sort of a 1950s, Everyone has a special uniform for their job indicating, you know, what kind of world they, you know, what kind of prospects they have and sort of thing. And downstairs in the in the um, in the cafe slash restaurant slash bookstore, there was a lady who was really mad about the fact that she even though she had gotten the job, she wasn't going to get paid for two weeks. She had red hair and a red uniform and. That somehow indicated something important. And while that was happening, I was talking with a friend. Uh, I don't know who it was, but I was talking with a friend. And I was holding a bag with two copies of A Maze of Death in it. (laughs) (laughs) Both of which were basically identical. And it's funny because I have two copies of uh, Ringworld right near my desk, which we had done not too long ago, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly the same copies, sort of in similar condition. Um, and the two copies were there, and Philip K. Dick was sort of in the back. Antonio Banderas, Philip K. Dick was sort of in the back of the restaurant, and I was telling my friend, "Hey, you know, I don't think this is his best work, 
Uh, but there's something about it that's intriguing, and I'm really interested in to see how it ends. I, I'm pretty think I'm pretty sure the last two chapters are going to reveal something to me. Huh. And so I took open the the you know the bag with a zip the ziploc bag, pulled out one of the books and handed it to my friend. And said, "If you if uh, you want to check it out, uh, take this copy." And then um, Antonio Banderas slash Philip K. Dick looked over while he's you know I don't know serving some coffee to somebody or something. And, and he sort of smiled. And then he walked into the back of the room. Whoa. That Whoa. was the, the walk around. And then, of course, I read the last two chapters this morning. And it's like, yeah, yeah he sort of did what it from. When I, I was right about the novel. Yeah. You had a visit. And Philip K. Dick had the smile for me. Uh, sorry, Antonio Banderas, Philip K. Yeah, Philip K. Dick slash Antonio Banderas. Uh, so slash I was thinking about what this meant this morning and i was thinking oh i know what that is and i i might even have thought it you know just in the waking part of the of the dream you know you don't really remember your dreams unless you remember them as you awake right mm-hmm. and you don't remember the dreams from the middle of the night you only remember the most recent one just like in del mac oh right. of course right yep um and what i realized was that i guess at that point as i was waking up that that was the only way that this this book could be adapted as basically having Philip K. Dick be a character in it talking about the book in uh, because what's really wrong with Philip K. Dick movie adaptations. And I think I even had this as part of the, that dream was that they don't understand. It's not about the action, right? It's not about the, the chase sequence yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the music swelling, right? There's no music. I mean, there's music swelling, but that's only Philip K. Dick listening to the records, right? It's not the, uh, the action uh, being, it can't be done that way. So no, no version of this could ever be adapted. So it ha- would have to be one of those sort of very loose adaptions or like they did with um, the, What's the drug? The drug Scanner one. Darkly. Scanner darkly. Scanner darkly. Right. A very sort of um, oh, Gonzo. Uh, you know, do it real, but do it fake, <laughs> mm-hmm. as they did. And I think that that's a fairly successful, maybe the most faithful adaptation. I think it's the most even successful. though, yeah, it's successful. But it's successful in the way that Philip K. Dick would appreciate, rather than, uh, I mean, not that he didn't like Blade Runner. I'm just saying that. What Blade Runner is, is that it's a different story taking really cool elements from the novel and making it sort of gritty. Yeah. Right? It, um, it's, nor- or, yeah, it's a norized, derived version of the novel. Yeah, or Total Recall, where it takes a, a, a great story and kicks it up a notch, uh, but turns it into an action film with you know a lot of things that are sort of hinted slightly at mm-hmm. in the book. But where the novel or where that story ends with a guy waiting on a park bench for the police to come get him, right? That's not – Philip K. Dick can never be faithfully adapted um, <laughs> unless you do it like I was saying with Antonio Banderas as Philip K. Dick in the novel yeah. about the novel that he's <laughs> talking about. Well, the, the kind of reminds me of Adaptation, the movie. Oh, the, the movie Adaptation. Mm. Yeah. Have you seen it, Marissa? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, where where you have it's about the novel, and you have the the writer of the novel in the novel, as a character, in a very sort of 
incestuous sort of loop. That would be a way to do I a Vulcanic yeah. novel. Although people would say, oh, they're just redoing adaptation. <laughs> which is which is which is kind of sad that but yeah, but that'd be that'd be a way to do a novel like this where you insert a dick into the into the narrative itself. But who would play Dick? Antonio Banderas? Antonio has to be Antonio Banderas because he has the perfect Philip K. Dick Spanish accent. It's like, <laughs> it made sense in the dream, I tell you. It made sense in the dream. I, I was thinking, isn't he a little too old to play Philip K. Dick? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he hangs out in Southern California uh, at some point, right? In Orange County. Yeah. Didn't he? Yeah. Uh, so clearly, uh, you know, he would have had a bit of Spanish accent. Makes sense in the dream. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is thinking about it also this morning, right before I finished those final two chapters, mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, that actually could be a theory as to what's going on in the book as well, is that they're um, sort of in, in dream, right? Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what that machine is, right? Is that it's a consent, uh, consent. An internet of dreams, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean that's not a a new idea of I've had, but uh, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. And I think that that short story, Frozen Journey, um, may not be. It may be like a um, a single person's version of what we see in the in the collective Bevatron. Of this dream. Yeah. Right? The Bevatron worlds of this dream. It it, it occurred to me that one thing that they could try to do in their next world if they wanted to was just have everybody be isolated on their own little worlds. But then all the characters around them would just be simulations from the computer. And I imagine they would eventually fall apart. In other words, these invented worlds don't work well with other characters. With like invented characters, so that's why they wind up King always getting thrown together. Because, I mean, like, say you, say you went into this and you were like made emperor, god emperor of this one world, and you were the everyone else was all in other worlds elsewhere. You'd probably find it boring after all because all the characters just wouldn't have any any reality or any complexity. Them, you'd be in a hall of puppets. Yeah. So they have to interact with each other every time in these worlds and that's the reason why they've gone to represent each other because they can't escape each other in these worlds because otherwise the worlds don't work it's not said in the story explicitly but i think we're meant to believe that because otherwise that's an easy solution like okay you get a planet you get a planet you get a planet and you can just Live on that planet for years and years. Now you're going into Mormonism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going into Mormonism, but I don't right. think that. Yeah, but clearly that's that the Mormon. Was, the that's the Mormon world that they did uh, three three times back. <laughs> yeah, well, because they've been experimenting with religions, obviously. Yeah. So, so yeah, they have to be thrown together with each other every time. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, from from the perspective. Now, when you've read the end of the uh, novel, go back to the beginning. Why are they all going to Del Mucko? Because the simulation forces them to have to work to to live with each other because otherwise the worlds around them are cardboard. They're the only real things. Mm. There's the whole Amber Zelazny. They're the real things. Everything else is but shadows. So they want to go to wherever they are is the one true world. So they... What, they have to interact with each other because otherwise they're just reacting to shadows and uh, puppets. 
And so Seth mentions at one point that tickle you fasten and all that is like all the memories they have of their lives are false and implanted as well mm. before they get to Delmac O. Mm-hmm. And then so and you guys think that the um this the ship that they're on orbiting the star is another level of hallucination like that there's mm-hmm. it could be that, yeah. I, 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 I mean, Seth is going to another reality, is, is, is ascending up out of this somehow. Yeah. To where, but to where... So, yeah, uh, uh, the walker on Earth, right, is real, in this, is, is the, the take I got on it. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, this is Philip K. Dick in his um, uh, religious phase is, yeah, he is, he wants to believe in Jesus, He's, he, mm-hmm. he's seen aspects of Jesus in himself. In the real world, he's seen aspects of Jesus in others. Who, you know, he's stuck on the side of the highway with a flat tire, and some guy comes by and um, gives helps him out, and then drives away. And like, oh, he was embodying Jesus. Um, it's nice to think of. Here are these people trapped in a reality where every wish can, every prayer can be answered, but only in the false reality that they live in and yet within that false reality create you know the walk on earth comes into being yeah and literally does transform uh it can help one out yeah take one out of it. Yeah. um uh, this is kind of like um there are these people the christians who don't believe that it's you know a true story they don't believe Jesus existed mm-hmm. as, I mean, any sane person who's done a hell of a lot of research on it, like I have. <laughs> it's like, oh, I get it now. It's, he's Batman, right? Right. Jesus <laughs> is Batman. He's a character that all of these people are working with. And they tell all these conflicting stories because um, they're, they don't have retconning yet, and then that's what Justinian does, or Constantine, whoever it is. I don't really care. Constantine, <laughs> the Council of is, Nicaea. Right. The Council of Nicaea is, yeah, we're, this is in, that's out. <clears throat> they're doing the version of Batman, and then, you know, Mormons come along, and they redo it, right? Everybody wants Jesus to be real, because he embodies things that we like about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he does what, you know, th- this is this is why these religious revolutions happen is because people get uh, – we sort of live in cycles where the rich get richer and then we, we we can go throw to this Jesus Robin Hood figure who says, you know, a rich man shall not pass through the eye of a needle, right? How, how, is, uh, how is Donald Trump going to go to heaven, right, <laughs> is the idea. And uh, so if you embody the 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 uh, – the vision of Jesus that Christians really want to have, even if they don't believe, like Philip K. Dick has a hard time believing, mm-hmm. but wants to believe in, um, how can you make it real? Uh, well, Philip K. Dick is kind of the uh, the walker on earth for the characters of this book, right? Mm. He, uh, what, what gives it meaning is that it is, what's so different about this kind of novel and the, the Philip K. Dick novel is that it's, it's sort of talking about the fr- the framing of it itself, the novel itself, and with those chapter titles, it invites sort of a meta, postmodern um, interpretation. Right. right. And we don't get that with like uh, a regular uh, regular science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. Right. The more you sort of think about how Philip K. Dick 
doesn't fit into science fiction is that he really he's a philosopher uh, who's using fictional no, you know paperback novels of the 1950s and 60s um, to do philosophy mm. right and he doesn't really care uh, about this you know he's not really into the technology as much as he's into possibility and he uses these these things like nosers and <laughs> Uh, you know, spaceships that have <laughs> computers that nothing really needs to be understood. The printer is the important part, is the idea, right? Getting to it and seeing what it means and exploring it um, in a peripatetic sort of sec- Socrates and Plato kind of way. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's so special. Mm-hmm. That yeah, That's why that's he's... Immortal. That's why his novels yeah. remain relevant. I mean, the, the, the technology is not going to uh, go out of date. You're not going to be distracted by that. You're going to, the ideas are ideas that we hash around since Aristotle and Plato, and will hash around five thousand years from now. Yeah, and and the fact that yeah, Marilyn Monroe is sort of a major figure in some of the characters' minds is it's a relic, but um, it it can be reconciled because even in 100 years we can still look up who Marilyn Monroe was and sort of look at those iconic pictures and get a sense of why she's mentioned not that she's mentioned in this book but that's sort of the um the things that can go out of date right um the the coffee machines and the the computers that you know the fact that they they use the in Google you know Google uh uh, Google or team. Siri to to look things up on the computer, and the computer sometimes knows the answers and sometimes doesn't. That's less important. It's less important how the technology works there than the fact that um, that's what we're all striving for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like you say, it's in the book as well. Like the the printers and everything is deteriorating, but the the ink stays. Like the the words that we're creating are going to stay. Word, there. yeah. The word lives on. Yeah. But, if it's even if it's ones and zeros on a computer, even if it's uh, audiobooks, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. In the word lives on. In the in the beginning there was the word, and in the end there was the word. Right. And then you close the cover, and then uh, one of you, I can't remember who, I'm sorry, says, "Was <laughs> what really happened?" Right. Philip K. Dick is the Walker on Earth, right? He made all those characters mm-hmm. up. He took them out of that pain that they were in forever trapped you know in a frozen hell yep. uh, uh, around a dead star he saved them all mm-hmm. <laughs> which is ridiculous but also true yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, there was one other thing I wanted to um, ask if you guys noticed at the end which I totally missed but I was reading the blog um, Total Dickhead and they pointed it out where in that very last scene, um, when they're back on the ship, the cook of the ship changes. Did you notice that? No. So when you get back on the ship, you're told everyone's real jobs on the ship. And um, I can't remember the guy um, begins with K. One of the other dudes is the cook. And then all of a sudden, Sue asks for a cup of coffee from... Um, from... Uh, from Morley. Yeah, from Morley. And then Morley is like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm the cook. And it kind of like makes a kind of point of saying like, I organize right. the food and the drink. And so it's kind of drawing attention right. to it. Like, look, the cook just changed. Right. Yeah. 
Nice. Yeah, yeah I totally missed that when I read it, and then. Yep. That's uh. Yep. That's that's the exact. <clears throat> there is this story I always go back to of his. Um, uh, I think it's called The Commuter. About a guy who gets on a train in California and he's traveling down and he gets off at the halfway point. He has them stop the train because he runs the train schedule. And he gets off and, and there's sort of gray fog and he goes through the gray fog and he finds a city. And uh, he finds an alternate world in which this city, this planned community almost existed. Goes back, goes back home to his his wife. Uh, turns out that at the beginning of the story it was his girlfriend, right? And things have changed in his town. And it's so subtle, but the color of the couch was different. Oh, cool. And it's like, oh, it's green at the beginning, it's pink at the end. It's like, oh, and there's a baby in the other room, right? But but we knew it from the the color of the couch because he walks in. He hears his wife. And I'm like, wait a second, wife? I thought he had a girlfriend, right? And then... Uh, but he sees the call. He sees the couch. Here's his wife, and then the cry of the baby, huh. and then he knows that it's his. You know, uh, you know. Suddenly, it all snaps back into place, right? Mm. The, his new knowledge, the the break from. This is you know the game he's always playing. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad that uh, you found that one in somebody's thing. But I I wouldn't have caught that because of being sick and being an audiobook. Yeah, um, and doing it over two weeks. I'm I'm. Uh, a little bit tardy. Sorry. But not only but, yeah, that. It's, I'm glad you found that. It's so subtle. Like, even when I read it, I was like, no, that's just that thing over here isn't revised. It's just a little mistake. And then the more I was thinking about it mm-hmm. and the whole story, like, all together, I was like, oh, yep. wait, that is totally intentional. Like, it's yep. so subtle. Yeah. Nice catch. Yeah. I mean, nice it, catch, it's a uh, total dickhead blog. Yep. This, this is... Uh, I mean that's that's the cool part is these are to, are totally rereadable books uh, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell there hasn't been one like I couldn't go back or haven't I, some of them I have, I've read at least twice before um, and that is not I'm not a person who generally rereads anything mm-hmm. or rewatches things either so um, yeah he's really yeah. fun to reread yeah he's got a lot of value in, in every little nuance there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice find. Well, I guess we did a show, huh? I think we did yes. a show. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. We just have our memories wiped and start again if, if it doesn't work, right? <laughs> That'd be great. I wish I could do that. Uh, geez, I was reading. Um, I uh, I go to the comic book store and I look at the new releases and I was, oh great, there's the new trade of uh, Cross Plus One Hundred Volume Two. So I pick it up, I buy it, flip through. Oh, I flip through it and I said, oh yeah, this is gonna be great. And I take it home, I start reading it. I said, this is kind of similar to the first book, <laughs> <laughs> which makes sense, right? Um, and then I keep reading it. And I'm about, I don't know, two and a half chapters into it. I'm like, fuck, I've read this before. <laughs> I bought this before. No. Oh, no. I feel like that's going to happen more and more. Like, I guess like the older you get, the more things are going to just start repeating and you're going to forget things. And <laughs> it's so annoying because now I'm like, 
pissed off I spent money on it. I already have a copy somewhere. Oh, oh well, Christmas present for someone. Well, volume two, though. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, Alan, Moore, Alan Moore's the first one. And this one's like some other guy. He's, you know, he's not as good. It's not Alan Moore, so. And did we lose you there, Paul? No, I'm here. Okay, we just had some weird noises. All right, let's get started. All right. Y'all ready? Yep. Mm-hmm. Here we go.